So, um, yeah, just to kind of give an, an outline, the when I conceived of this, this for quite a while actually, and originally I was just trying to put together some quotations that would give a, a, a one a kind uh, a series of references to aspects of the path and as I wanted a, something rather complete I, I chose the presentation which is a tenfold path so that the last after the familiar eightfold path you have two other path factors right noise and right release which are the what you call this, the Aryan aspects for, for these are the factors that occur in the stream entry one actually has a, a, a truly super mundane uh, realizations. So, so this, this isn't often there in the presentation of the Eightfold Path, but there is also, uh, on several occasions, the Buddha does refer to the Tenfold Path, including these two super mundane factors. So, I thought this would be a nice way of, of, um, you know, grouping together quotations and. Um, because a lot of the time with the suttas, one of the problems I think is that is they're just uh, they're a series of talks, so you don't get a uh, it's, it's so big you get some really interesting material, but it's scattered and spread throughout you know thousands of suttas. So often one doesn't actually have a manageable hands-on description of what what is samadhi or what is mindfulness, you know, we, these terms we use, what is right view. So I thought to try and group together some of these um, terms from various places and I certainly don't have exhaustive uh, access to the suttas myself but I've managed to pin down <coughs> here and there um, series and when you start to get into it you realise well there are actually hundreds of quotes <laughs> on every aspect of the path but so, but a lot of them are repeated. You know, it's the same thing is said, formulaic way. So just to present these these short um, synopses, um, so that you can read them and also remember have them to refer to, and also look at the the suttas that they arise from and see what context gives you a way of looking into the Anguttara Nikaya, the Samyutta Nikaya, as well as the other. Uh, the Majima and the Diga Nikaya, so you've got some ways of actually, you know, moving into those large collections. <coughs> and um, I th- my idea was to just put down these quotes and then it's like you just read them and you let them sit there in the mind and see what <coughs> resonances come up. And you might very well find as you're looking one, oh, karma, it mentions karma, bodily karma. What do I know else about karma? You might want to look up something on karma. This is the way that I've you know, muddled through the suttas, really just just following leads, picking up something, reading a few phrases, you think that's an interesting concept. Well, is there anything more on that particular topic? So then I'll look about something about karma. And so I often use this He's like the Buddhist dictionary, Nyanatiloka, which does give you a lot of fundamental stuff and most importantly gives you the references. There's quite a lot of times one sees in, in, in books and hears in talks, people say, oh, the Buddha said this. But where? You know, you can't find it. Or he didn't, he didn't actually say that. 
he said something that sounds a bit like it, but it's taken out of context. So I think it's really useful to actually have it down. This is the place where he said it. Um, look at it and uh, see, you know, really try to look at it. And if you can, even look at the Pali of it too. Because the English is often, uh, through the lens of the translator, who does the best he or she can, but the problem is the English language doesn't always really lend itself to, to capturing things like bhava, your being or existence, and for us that's pretty much a kind of numb word, but it was, it's a very potent word in the, in the Buddha's presentation. So I think that's also worthwhile starting to pick up some of these, these key terms that, in a way, either we think we understand them, or we don't really get it and just slide through it like existence or non-existence you know, do you know what that means? Uh, you know, and because it, it's a very potent term in, in the Buddha's teaching and so you look at what does that mean? And look at it again and again and again in various places and you start to get a feeling for what it's, what it's about, the depth of it also with these quotes I've written some notes myself as things that kind of come up in, come up in my mind when I look through them um, but the idea would be that could present some, some of these things, read some of these things through you know, present some way in which thoughts that have come up for myself and then have uh, other people bring up points things they've seen elsewhere or discuss the points that or the quotes that have been brought up or ask questions about them. Mm. So as I said the root text for all this is is the 117th Sutta of the Majjhima Nikaya which is the called the Great Forty Mahachatarisaka Sutta. Um, and this one, <coughs> because I shall teach you noble, noble right concentration. So, with its supports and its requisites, listen and attend closely. What because is noble right concentration? with its supports and its requisites. (coughs) That is, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort and right mindfulness. Unification of mind equipped with these seven factors is called noble right concentration with its supports and its requisites. Therein bhikkhus, right view comes first. And how does right view come first? One understands wrong view as wrong view and right view as right view. This is one's right view. And then there's the standard expression of wrong view. And what bhikkhus is wrong view? There is nothing given, nothing offered, nothing sacrificed. No fruit or result of good and bad actions. No this world, no other world, no mother, no father, no beings who are reborn spontaneously. No good and virtuous recluses and Brahmins in the world who have realized for themselves by direct knowledge and declare this world and the other world. This is wrong view. Now what because is right view? Right view, I say, is twofold. There is right view that is affected by taints, 
partaking of merit, ripening on the side of attachment. And there is right view that is noble, taintless, supramundane, a factor of the path. And what bhikkhus is right view that is affected by the taints, partaking of merit, ripening on the side of attachment. There is what is given and what is offered and what is sacrificed. There is fruit, the result of good and bad actions. There is this world and the other world. There is mother and father. There are beings who are reborn spontaneously. There are in this world good and virtuous recluses and brahmins who have realized for themselves by direct knowledge and declare this world and the other world. This is your right view affected by taints, partaking of merit, ripening on the side of attachment. And what because his right view that is noble, taintless, supramundane, a factor of the path? The wisdom, the faculty of wisdom, the power of wisdom, the investigation of states enlightenment factor, the path factor of right view in one whose mind is noble, whose mind is taintless, who possesses the noble path and is developing the noble path. This is right view. That is noble, taintless, supramundane, a factor of the path. One makes an effort to abandon wrong view and to enter upon right view. This is one's right effort. Mindfully one abandons wrong view. Mindfully one enters upon and abides in right view. This is one's right mindfulness. Thus these three states run and circle around right view. That is right view, right effort and right mindfulness. So then he goes through the other path factors. end of it, he says, um, or towards the end of it, therein because right view comes first. And he want, how does right view come first? So right view sets up, in one of right view, right intention comes into being. In one of right intention, right speech comes into being, and so forth. So because of, with right view as a, as a fundamental support condition, right intention comes into being. And so the other factors follow on from there. And then in one of right concentration, right knowledge comes into being. In one of right knowledge, right deliverance comes into being. Thus, because the path of the disciple in the higher training possesses eight factors, the arahant possesses ten factors. So, so as you say, you know, right intention sets up the other seven factors of the path, but as they mature, they lead to these other, give rise to these other two factors, right knowledge and right deliverance. And this is where it says the arahant possesses these twelve, these ten factors. Now, if you actually here in this sutta, these ten factors are attributed to the arahant, but you also find there's a sutta in the Sanyuta Nikaya when Anguttara, um, when Anathapindika is passing away. And uh, Sariputta declares him a stream entry who has the ten factors. So, uh, so in fact, 
in that sutta the, the, the stream enterer also has these ten factors so although he says he is the arahant one might say well the arahant possesses them continuously the stream enterer has a kind of hand on them or grasp of them he hasn't actually completely you know the stream entry if you like is one gains a perception or, or an image it's like you're looking through the window and you realize these things the arahant's got in through the window and he's really sitting with it he's fully opened into it that's the only way I explain it because the arahant possesses ten factors he doesn't say that nobody else does but um, the feeling is that the arahant has them in full of possession the stream enter has got them on loan <laughs> he kind of gets them but he can also lose it and sometimes they so you can fall back from it from stream entry so for example the fact that Nata Pindic had to even be reminded that he was a stream enter means that the mind can be clouded over you know, even though these you don't often these something you don't realise because you still get deluded by the, the personality factors. <coughs> but that's a bit of a sidetrack, I guess. <coughs> so right view base gives rise to right intention. Well, just basic support for right intention. And that's how it functions. So without right view there can't be right intention intentions are not straight mm. and we naturally we'll look at right intention or summer sankapa um, next week sankapa right intention right aim uh, you know which is uh, based around um, you know understanding for example um, you know there is there is a path there is the fruits of that which is of offerings, there is the fruits of generosity, in other words there's something we can do from the heart in this respect, there is a path so right view helps you to, to get understanding of what the path is and then when you see there is this there is a purpose, there's a value in it then you know, well of course right aim, you get the sense of motivation sankapa without it then there's n- the motivation isn't there mm. So, so a couple of things it's just to recognize you know first of all the Buddha talks about wrong view and then one, one's first effort has effort to abandon wrong view yeah. one makes an effort to abandon wrong view in other words it's not it's, it's not something you know, you just oh yeah, that's it. Oh, I got it now. That's right view. Oh, I was thinking. It's not just a matter of thinking, where you can just have another thought. We have to make an effort to abandon wrong view. It's much more deeply entrenched. So I think just to get a my sense, get an understanding. What what is this view bit? Where does it occur? And I would like to offer a, a word like right perspective, you know, right vision. So this isn't just a series of ideas one has in one's head, it's almost like the fundamental place where you're coming from, uh, you know, where, where your heart is angled, like fundamental life statements that we've that have got inculcated into us. Yeah? You know, someone can have a depressive life statement, oh, here's the point. 
There's nothing, you know, you can find topics for that. How he let me down and she was this and da 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 da. But it's, it's actually underneath the topics is a basic depressed, um, nihilistic state of being. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. What's the point? I can't do anything. Uh, so you've got to, you know, very, sort of like your whole perspective on life comes from that. We can come from a place of feeling, you know, victims or inadequate. Uh, so it's, this to my mind is where, what, where the right view is or the wrong view is. It's, it's, it's not a set of ideas that, that you hold in your head. It's more like a whole um, way of, of viewing life, one's existence. And um, so one has to make an effort to abandon it and, and an effort to enter upon right view. This is one's right effort. You know, you've got to actually push against and clear away some very fundamental biases that perhaps at first we're not even really that conscious of. We just immediately come from it. You know, we're just filling the, filling the topics but we're already coming from that place. And um, <coughs> if we consider that, you know, it, to, to, to really um, possess these, right, right view is, is uh, considered a, an, an attainment. It means that we have to recognize that probably there are uh, times when this sense of wrong view very much grips us. There are two kinds of, of right view. One is right view affected by taints partaking of merit, ripening on the side of attachment. Doesn't sound that good, does it? <laughs> and so this is what is... The other one is called supramundane. So, we'll call this one mundane, mundane right view. So, you have two kinds, mundane right view and supramundane. So, the supramundane, clearly no attachments, uh, maybe no merit and no, <laughs> and no taints. And so, it seems that uh, when you look, look at this, the difference is that the right view with attachments and taints and so forth, is that which gives rise to the sense of, of self, me. There's attachment, the, uh, the end result of attachment is the sense of being something, I am this. So this is the mundane, when one does good deeds and uh, so forth, and yet it doesn't actually penetrate the sense of self. Because the supramundane here is called just the wisdom, the faculty of wisdom. It's not a person, it's a particular you know, faculty. It's wisdom itself. Uh, yeah. so this is the right. And I think you'll, if you look at that, you'll see that many of these quotes back up that, that uh, comparison between the self-view as, as uh, can be right view with taints. And then the... the Super mundane view is, is um, doesn't have a self view in it. You can look at what self view really implies.
<coughs> but that the <coughs> right view, even mundane right view, with a few taints in it, seems to be the basis where things start moving. How does one's right view come first? One understands wrong intentions, wrong intention, the intention of sensual desire, the intention of ill will, the intention of cruelty. So one understands this is this is unskillful, uh, and then this is called the right intention affected by taints. So, so this kind of intention that is the result of right view. So it's an intention understanding non-cruelty, um, non-aversion, and renunciation. That is effect. That all that is affected by taints. Mm. So it, it's skillful, but it's it's still affected by taints. Here is asavar, or what one might say, biases, fundamental biases, fundamental currents. When one's angled, and the angling is, I am this, I will be this, I was this, I should be this, I can't be this, that kind of thing. So that's that's the suit. That's the mundane, but. The mundane acts as the basis of the super mundane. So that, that's the root text, and I really encourage you to read that, that whole that sutta. So I, I mean, I've gone on this bit, but I think it's actually fundamental to all, all of the other factors of the, this path. And then if we look at a couple of things, first is the, you know, what would one summarise as, as wrong view? Well, here he describes it in this particular way. And uh, the first quote I've given on the sheet here says, there is no other condition which is so much for the arising of as unyet unrisen unskillful states and for the development and fruition of unskillful states as wrong view. In other words, this is the worst thing. When there is wrong view, bodily karma created as a result of that view, verbal karma result created as a result of that view, as well as intentions, aspirations, wishes and mental proliferations are all productive of results that are undesirable, unpleasant, disagreeable, yielding no benefit but conducive to suffering. So, definitely out. <laughs> Not a deliverer. That's the Anguttara Book of the Ones, 17th Sutta. So this wrong view generates uh, or acts as a basis for bad karma. Bodily karma, verbal karma, as well as mental karma, in, which is intentions, aspirations, wishes, and mental proliferations. So this we could summarise what the means, Buddha means by mental karma. Um, so this mental here does not mean thoughts. It means uh, um, that which gives rise to thoughts, the basic volitional impulse, the intention, the aspiration, the wishes, and the mental proliferations. These are all like the undercurrents of the mind. Verbal karma is speech and thought. The thought is a topic. Mental karma is that kind of welling up 
of mood, of directive, of energies that, that the verbal karma rides on, if you see what I mean. So these three karmas, form, karma forms, which I often talk about, you know, there's Kaya Sankara, Bhaji Sankara, Chitta Sankara, when they become whole patterns. Um, this is the, in summary, uh, this is what wrong view leads to, this wrong karma, bad karma. When you look at it, you, you begin to recognize, well, yeah, you know, if you hold wrong view, then clearly there's certain things you won't bother with, giving, offering, giving up. There's no fruit result of good or bad, act, bad actions you won't bother with. You'll be very careless about what kind of actions you lay down. No this world, no other world. This means there's no um, possibility of passing from one state of being to another state of being. No mother, no father. This means you haven't come from anywhere, you haven't inherited anything. There's no law of cause and effect. There's no uh, inheritance. Um, and this, particularly this phrase also, um, if you hold that particular view, it very much encapsulates everything you experience in yourself as mine. Yeah. Yeah. This is me, this is mine. This isn't something I've inherited. You know, there's no genetic inheritance, there's no inheritance in terms of speech or thought or attitude. So it, it kind of cuts us off into this little isolated fragment which doesn't connect to anything. It's got no past, uh, it's got no future, it's not going anywhere. What it does is irrelevant. <laughs> you know. No beings who are reborn spontaneously. Um, that one is a bit foggy for me. No good and virtuous recluses and Brahmins who have realized by themselves and declare this world. In other words, there's no sense of liberation either. So if those are deep, deeply held assumptions or inclinations or perspectives on life, um, you know, this is depressing. This means we're just isolated fragments of no consequence arising from nowhere, having no, uh, um, our actions are insignificant, and there's no way to get out of it either. So basically, what do you do? You, you know, you sniff glue <laughs> and get what you can while you can get it, and when you die, that's the end of it, so what? And this, of course, is the the view that was one of the views that was held by these wanderers at the six other teachers in the and you've seen them in the Samanipala Sutta. In the second sutra the Diganikaya where the Buddha <coughs> refers to some of these views <coughs> So he says like Purana Kasapa um, view is one who cuts or causes to be cut burns, causes to be burned one who causes grief and weariness causes life to be taken commits burglary, <coughs> commits robbery commits adultery, tells lies does no evil uh, so he says that, you know, there's no consequence there's no merit, no merit accrues in giving self-control, abstinence and telling the truth there's no merit and no merit accrues 
so there is if you look in that sutta it goes through these um, views of the other teachers and most of them are teaching karmic nihilism or karmic um, irrelevance it doesn't matter what you do there's nobody really here there's nobody born, nobody dying it's just empty elements thrashing around in the void there's no point doing any good if you go up and down the north bank of the Ganges slashing people to ribbons on the north bank it doesn't, in the south bank it makes no difference so so this whether uh, very strongly expressed so this is a kind of um, wrong view in the Buddhist sense of the world word but to put it simply it's, it's the, the, the irrelevance of karma I would say and the, the non-existence of vipaka vipaka means results we don't inherit anything nothing we do has any effects and uh, so <coughs> what's the point and if we have that attitude then um, essentially one's going to be pretty much rudderless and probably quite selfish and sort of delinquent behaviour one might say so in the fifth the fifth quote here is, is I haven't quoted the whole sutta 60th sutta the Majjhima Nikaya the Apanaka sutta which is called the incontrovertible says whether you really believe in birth or not it doesn't entirely matter because then the whole sutta goes through it in in this fashion talks about wrong view and uh, right view now if those recluses and Brahmins doctrine and view is this there is nothing given no good and virtuous recluses etc it is to be expected they will avoid these three wholesome states namely good bodily conduct, good verbal conduct and good mental conduct and they will undertake and practice these three unwholesome states bodily misconduct, verbal misconduct and <coughs> mental misconduct so just remembering again that verbal and mental refer to you know, obviously speech and what the mental thing is the, the proliferation of moods and attitudes why will they undertake these three unwholesome states? Because these good recluses and Brahmas do not see in unwholesome states the danger, degradation and defilement, nor do they see in wholesome states the blessing of renunciation, the aspect of cleansing. Hmm. Since there actually is another world, one who holds the view there is no other world has a wrong view. then about this a wise man considers thus if there is no other world then on the dissolution of the body this good person will have made himself safe enough but if there is another world um, then he will reappear in a state of deprivation in an unhappy destination in perdition even in hell now whether or not the word of those good recluses and brahmas is true let me assume that there is no other world so even if there is no world, still, this good person is here and now censured by the wise as an immoral person. But if there is another world, then this good person has made an unlucky throw on both counts. is censured by the wise here and now, and on the dissolution of the body who will reappear in a state of hell. 
So what he's saying is whether you really accept or understand or see um, you know, future being, rebirth, or not, still, you can say even this very life, if, what I, if I start acting from wrong view, then uh, skillful people will blame me and, and so forth. You know, and the consequences of that is one will, one will tend to associate with and live with people of similar inclination. Yeah. And, and not be uh, accepted or taken in by people of wise. So you can see the point of it. So if you end up living or associating with other people who also think there's no point in good actions, what do you think they're going to do to you? <laughs> and people who think well, no, there's no point in, in skillful speech, what do you think they're going to say to you? If you think there's no point in skillful mental attitudes, what do you say, how do you think they're going to regard you? you know? So he's saying this is something that, you know, when you see these things in terms of long-term consequences, just looking in the here and now, you know, if you have wrong view, then what kind of experiences you can be having right now? You know, um, so that, that's, that's the, the gist of it. Mm. Essentially, I, I guess we begin to recognise that the first glimmerings of right view is uh, I don't want to do to others what I wouldn't want them to do to me. So we get some sense of I'm not just here a little capsule. You know, I do receive effects. If I receive effects, then probably I can generate effects. So there are consequences, you know, which you just recognise by your own experience. Mm. So the beginning of that uh, um, you know, melting down this, this, this wall of wrong view is recognizing somebody gives me something that's nice, I appreciate that. You know, and if I give something, that, that's skillful. So dana is the first. Because you know, it, you know, it's a, well, that's really doing is saying, you know, I acknowledge your existence and I, I can see I can do something that will make you feel a bit better right now and, and that's, that makes me feel good, you know, that, that's where it starts, the sense of coming out of this capsule of, of nihilism. Um, I think it's time to just draw into the end of that bit because I think the rest of it really deals with um, views in general the holding of views and how self-view arises so that's I would say that's (coughs) good enough for what mundane right view is so if you want to ask anything about that, we'll talk about that. Um, yeah, well, I have to, um, just reading this, I, I realised that um, I didn't, yeah, I obviously didn't have a clear view of right view, and um, so I found it helpful to to, to read this and um, to investigate into it a little bit more, so I really appreciate that. I see 
how much this mind can get attracted into wrong view and that I have recently actually been attracted into wrong view, which was more um, based on nihilism and current nihilism and determinism. Mm -hmm. So that I've got no choice to see mm -hmm. what happens. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's helpful to see, oh, you know, that, that the Buddha actually pointed out that that's, that's not my view. Um, and also the underpinnings of morality. You know. mm -hmm. So um, determinism is, as I understand it, is more that um, that that belief is that you've got no choice in what you do. Mm -hmm. But that would be part of, or you know, seeing that in the same basis mm -hmm. as current yeah, I mean, I, th I think that obviously the grosser aspects of wrong view are fairly easy to see and be able to pull out of, but it's the, the subtler aspects of it as things like, um, you know, one feels at times impotent. There's nothing I can do, I'm stuck with this. I'm going to be like this forever. Uh, my life is subject to powers outside of my say. And, uh, you know, would have done recognise that certain things, if you like, do have their, their consequences already there. If you're born, you're going to die, uh, and so on. But um, in terms of the mental karma, you know, the heart aspiration, now they can be shifted. You don't have to feel trapped. You don't have to feel the future is already decided. Some, some aspects are, but, you know, the, the bit that really counts, it's not. So often we, because we tend to take most of our life statements from the sensory world, which is limited, you know, and in some way funneled, channeled already, you know, it's going to be separation, pain, pleasure, not getting what one wants and so forth. You know, that's, that's, that's the sensory world. But you see that, we don't, because we don't see the, the, the deathless, then we keep getting this wrong, this sense of, of impotence and determinism um, keeps imprinting itself in our hearts because that's what the sensory world's message is really. You know, you're bound to do this, you're bound to get old, you're bound to die and so forth. And so you, that becomes the message of the heart. Right, it takes some real effort, doesn't it? The effort really only, it's only going to be one that actually has realised deathless, that you've got something, some reference to say, well, no, that's, not, that's just that, it's not it's the whole story.
Well, that's exactly what it is, comes down to in the end, the view of being and the view of non-being, that's what they imply. And it says, you know, you have either of those views, you, you haven't quite got it right. You know, so we can, even though we may not call the death as heaven, that's what it becomes. Nibbana is a kind of, oh, I, I'll be all right there, there's that state of being, you know. And, and that's, the Buddha says, no, it's not that. <laughs> so you go, and then you say, well, what is it? And you say, well, it's the wisdom faculty, the investigation states faculty, the quality of wisdom in the in the mind of someone who is an Aryan. Uh, you know, it's not <coughs> saying it's not anything apart from clarity itself. You see what I mean? It's just being. Cl- it's just it's just here and now clarity that the Buddha is you know, referring to as this is the super mundane. It's this. It's not. You know, some place you go to. I just, I just recognize that there are things that couple. I don't incline towards this sort of heavenly hereafter kind of state myself, but more, more inclined towards this sort of be done with it, you know, nihilistic kind of bit. Yeah, well, I think this word "self" carries quite a lot in it. Uh, what is actually meant by by that? Mm. You see, it's not really non-being. Isn't really about non-being, the non-being of a self, so much as um, your self view arises from the taint of being or the taint of non-being. So even to consider there to be a self that one doesn't want to be is already a taint. Because you know, the, very, the very concept arises 
either from taking some position against things or some position in favour of things. You refer those to being and non being. ceasing is so in, ingrained as an experience that it either takes fav- favours of rising or hopes for some new arising or favours ceasing and hopes for some new ultimate cessation and yet really the only thing that needs to cease is that particular way of looking at things you know so, so mundane right here is actually about how to skillfully work with the rising yeah, to the point where you, you're no longer dominated by it. This is what samasati is about, isn't it? When you actually, well, this is arising, that's that's passing away, and you're no longer dominated by it. Yeah, so so it's no longer kind of keeps imprinting its message on your heart. You can notice it, you, so you can kind of get the sense of the knowing of that, uh, and. Um, so from, he says, concentration, right view, right effort, right mindfulness are the three factors that, that concentration result, rotates around. You know, so it's the right effort, the right view, and the right mindfulness actually gives you the first realizations of awareness of arising and ceasing. Which means I'm not just going up and down, I'm, there it is. You see what I mean? And then, you know, samadhi is the kind of rooting and grounding and firming up and then the possibility <coughs> of release from the involvement and the uh, being identified with that which arises and ceases. So in a sense, the more, the more you develop the other aspects, the more um, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it says, you know, one applies effort to dispel wrong view. It's sometimes called that, um, and yeah, it can, which is good, it certainly is about wisdom, but uh, the difficulty can be thinking you can acquire it through through knowledge, through you know up head knowledge. It's really a shift of shift of footing I would say.
So the first three get you kind of pointed in the right way and then serenity and insight. So that's exactly samatha vipassana, isn't it? Calm and insight, which is meditation. And what's what's the could you give us the quote, the, the details of that? Okay, so it's the Majjhiminikaya 43. 5s, So continue these so these two polarities being and non being I think this seems to be the focus that a lot of these notes present. So if we look at the seventh quote, the world in general, this is the fifteenth sutra <coughs> of the Nidana Vaga, which is the twelfth <coughs> book of the Sangita Nikaya very famous and justifiable, justifiably so. The world in general, Kachayana, inclines to two views, to existence and to non-existence. For for one who with the highest wisdom sees the arising of the world as it really is, non-existence of the world does not apply. But for one who with the highest wisdom sees the passing away of the world as it really is, existence of the world does not apply. The world in general, Kachiana, grasps after systems and is imprisoned by dogmas. 
but one does not go along with that system grasping that mental obstinacy and dogmatic bias does not grasp it, does not affirm this is myself. He knows without doubt or hesitation that whatever arises in the mind is merely dukkha, that what passes away is merely dukkha, and such knowledge is his own, not depending on anyone else. This, Kachiyan, is what constitutes right view. So, I think for start, existence and non-existence, this is otherwise translated as being and non-being, it's the same word bhava and vibhava, bhava and vibhava, so we recognize in the second noble truth, bhavatana, kamatana, bhavatana, vibhavatana, um, sense, craving, craving for existence, craving for non-existence or non-being. And we'll look at what exactly that means. But for a start, sees the arising of the world. He's obviously not going to talk about planet Earth um, or the ceasing of the world. So this helps to give us an understanding of what you know this world, other world, is referring to. And uh, I think what one finds, you know, in, in quite a lot of the Buddhist presentations, is not such a a clear distinction between material and immaterial. Yeah. So we like to think of, you know, there's planet Earth, there's uranium, iron, and that's stuff. And there's thoughts and moods and that's that's non-stuff. And there's two definite distinct things <coughs> and then they're never to be mixed. But in, in the Buddha Dharma often you go from, you know, from solid form to fine material form to immaterial form. It's just all gradations on the prism of the cosmic unity you know <coughs> you go from the realm of, of gross material form to the realm of fine material form to the formless realms you know and you know, the, so the form element is not uh, a kind of um, you know, something that's ultimately separate from the formless it's just a, a gradation so like like um, you know, matter almost a, is an intensification of immaterial stuff. You know, it's just like water becomes ice or becomes um, steam and evaporates. You know, so so um, when the Buddha talks about the world, he, you know, sometimes he may be referring to the physical one, but sometimes he's referring to what we would call a psychological one or even a cosmological one with brahmas and deities in it. And for him, there's no problem with that. They're not. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't say only this exists and that doesn't. He says, well, there's all this stuff. You know, so, but in this one, he certainly seems to refer to the rising of the world as being one of the ways it is um, <coughs> often encapsulated. Is is the rising of the ayatanas? That's the, the six sense spheres: seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, smelling, and thinking. You know, when this stuff. Which are oh yeah, we we might call this my mind or something. But it's the six sense spheres when they, as they arise up. So all the data one experience that seems to be about, you know, there he is. There's Frank. There's the carpet. Is really just a moment of visual contact and the perception, the mental thing, and that bump comes up. You know, when they, the see. So if one takes that as actually finally solid, then this is the view of existence. <laughs> if you take it as there's nothing here, 
is nothing, it's just nothing going on here really and this is the view of non-existence but we can see that, that actually well if nothing exists why, how come this stuff keeps happening you know uh, how can't can I keep these things keep arising up if nothing exists you know, you're getting some pretty convincing and consistent um, manifestations <coughs> so the, the arising pattern tends to eradicate the the uh, non-existence life is all a dream notion and non-existence can lead to a, a karmic nihilism like it doesn't really matter nobody here existence tends to a karmic determinism we're all stuck here, this is exactly all that ever is. <laughs> you know, everything is finite and solid. Yeah. So existence leads to a sort of uh, a kind of fixity and determinism. Nothing can shift and change because everything is rock solid. Non-existence leads to a, uh, uh, you know, a, a karmic inconsequentiality. There's nothing really happening, it doesn't matter what you do. Because there's nothing really there. Like someone of these views of the, of the wanderers of other sects is... In, 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 killing and, in, there's no, in killing and destroying, there's nothing really being killed or destroyed, it's just empty elements. So you're not necessarily saying this doesn't exist. This isn't happening, it's more of what we do that matters. Yeah, yeah, it's, the, it's what that gives rise to. On one level, it's what it gives rise to, is, is this unskillful karma. The other thing it gives rise to is the, d- the view of being, existence, means, you know, that because of that, because of the world, the, these exist, I exist and I'm stuck here, you know, and if the, if the view of non-existence, then I'm not here either, <coughs> so there's no, there's no luminosity, there's no awakening in that, yeah, it's a completely passive state, you see what I mean? And so, and apart from anything else, it, obviously if there's nobody here, nothing really happening, there's no effort to be made. Because there's no results and nothing to have a result. Mm-hmm. So, but whether, we, whether I exist or not, <coughs> you know, we start to, the first thing is you're just looking at the arising of what really touches and affects us, it's sight, sound, touch thought and so forth and that that does keep welling up yeah it does keep welling up but recognize that what resid what it what it creates even though it is welling up and moving all the time what it creates is a world of substance yeah. so it's like the welling up is authentic but the actual the view that surveys that and says oh that's actually out there and solid that's not that's not that's not true all we can know is it keeps welling up because it also it it ceases it 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 wells up and it declines it subsides Mm. but if we if we say well you know there's nothing cessation things not happening is, is the ultimate truth well but it does well up so you can almost get the sense of these, this <coughs> fluid arising and passing experience. This is where you get the basis of which this suta goes into of dependent origination. 
and what that fluidity, ultimate fluidity and ultimate um, effectiveness, everything is touching and affecting and generating other things, you can't find a place where you can actually cut off and say this bit is me, this is separate from everything else, I'm in control of this, this only affects me and I, you know, I'm here. Because you can't, so that self-view can't pertain if you, if you really witness and experience the, um, the arising and ceasing of phenomena. So he says one, so if, and in general, the grasping after systems and imprisoned by dogmas, those are very strong terms, System grasping, mental obstinacy and dogmatic bias <laughs> are the things that give rise to this is myself. Yeah. So, that, so you get different things there. Grasp after systems, imprisoned by dogmas, mental obstinacy and dogmatic bias. It, it Obviously it's referring to a, a kind of, you know, uh, the inability to, to, to really attune and flex with, with a reality of experience. Something that's always trying to solidify, step back and, and not be part of the, the game, as it were. Not, not really be witnessing how it really is. Those are the, so those are the two views. And uh, the 11th one which is the Chula Sihanada Sutta um, which is on grasping the view of the two views the view of being and the view of non-being any recluses or Brahmins who rely on the view of being adopt the view of being accept the view of being are opposed to the view of non-being well that's obvious isn't it any recluses of Brahmins who rely on the view of non-being, adopt the view of non-being, accept the view of non-being, or oppose the view of being. Any recluses of Brahmins who do not understand as they actually are the origin, the disappearance, the gratification, the danger, and the escape, in these case of these two views, are affected by lust, affected by hate, affected by delusion, by craving, clinging, without vision, given to favouring opposing, and they delight in proliferation. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't mince his words, does he? They're not free from birth, aging, and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. No, no doubt there. For a start, I mean, the very sense that if you adopt the view of being, then you must be generating some opposition to people who have the other view. So it's going to be favouring and opposing, favour and opposing. Therefore, there's going to be quarrels and disputes. Therefore, there's going to be, you know. Yeah. And sometimes in one's, one's <coughs> oneself, you know, you can see part of one wants to be, well, I really like to do things. I, you know, I really like to get on and get things done. And things. Like, what do I have to bother doing everything? I like some space, you know. <laughs> I find this in myself, you know. Ah, oh, Dandapani, yeah. Dickinham. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty much like that. Yeah. 
favoring and opposing. Yeah, or that very nice quote out on the on the on the mantelpiece, which says, you know, one is not one accepts nothing as is and rejects nothing as nothing. Yeah, what's the beginning of the mind of Hindu? And if you, I did mention this quotation, the Udana 310, I don't know if we had any time to look at that one, about being and non-being, where he, the Buddha says, and I haven't got the quote to hand, but essentially any summoners who identify or think of there's some state of existence, or any summoners who identify and wish for some state of non-existence, both of these are not free from craving. And, and suffering when one really understands one realises the only thing letting go is the only thing that's <laughs> worthwhile where you hold on your suffering so it's it's um, you know grasping these are quite vigorous terms and the vigour of them is something seems a bit over the top but it does give you an idea of there is a kind of tensing up to grasp mental obstinacy, dogmatic bias. Those are very powerful um, references to things we might not even realise. I've got that kind of tensing up, holding a position. <coughs> and the beautiful, I quoted most of this sutra from the Anguttara 10.93, where Anatta Pindika meets the wanderers of other views. Because uh, I think it's, it's quite a uh, uh, kind of lovely presentation, both in the letter and the spirit of, of another Pindu's right view. Because he doesn't actually have a, he doesn't come on with some kind of clashing bias or dogmatic position. Mm-hmm. So they say, well, you know, <coughs> what, what, what views the Buddha have? And he says, well, I'm, I don't really know what views the Buddha has. And he says, okay, no, you don't know, huh? <laughs> you don't know, you're supposed to be Buddhist, you don't know what views the Buddha has. <laughs> what about the monks then? He says, well, I don't really know what views they have. So you don't even know what views the monks have. <laughs> They're obviously thinking, you know, who do you think you are? You know, you don't even know what your teacher's talking about, or the monks. And he says, so what views do you have? And he says, well, yeah, yeah. I haven't really got much to say on that one, but why don't you tell me what views you've got, you know? So it's a lovely, lovely piece of work because it's, um, it's uh, you know, if you tell me what, what you views you have, then that would make it easier for me to reply. So he kind of almost opens up and seems to be walking right into a trap. So they really come up with their views and basically it's either being or non-being. 
cosmos is finite, the cosmos is infinite. Soul and body the same, soul is one thing, body another, exists, doesn't exist, and so forth. This is a, so they're all quarrelling with each other. And he says, well look, you know, when you said that, this one said this, he said that. Um, and he's in opposition. And now that view, whatever view you have, has been brought into being, is fabricated, willed and dependently originated. So you've actually, that's been formulated, it's held with the will, and it's it come dependently originated, which is called what these, these wanderers haven't realised. You know. And whatever has been brought into being is fabricated, willed, dependently originated. That is inconstant. It means, it means you can't take a firm position on it because it's challenged. It depends upon you holding it. It doesn't stand up by itself. It's not something that arises you know, in a state of ease. Yeah. So it has to be kind of held up and that is subject to stress so if you hold that view you you, you adhere to stress because you can feel the very stressing that holds it and uh, so they say well what's your view he says well whatever is inconstant and so forth is stress um, whatever is stress is not me not what I am not myself this is the sort of view I have so they say, well, in that case, you say whatever is inconstant is stress, so you, you adhere to stress because you believe in inconstancy, you believe in stress. And he says, no, no, I understand that whatever is that stress and I don't adhere to it. It's not me, not what I am, not myself. <laughs> so it's uh, these, these three characteristics, which uh, I think is another way of, of encapsulating my view. And the sense of the, the stressing, the willfulness, the fabrication that, that is required to sustain these views. And then that last quote here, or one of them, the very last one I do not see any support for views that would not arouse sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair from one who takes it as a support. So it's referring to not the topical or intellectual brilliance or attractiveness or clarity of the view but the kind of stress and willfulness that, that holding it uh, takes you know, and it's all coming from you know, this is true, that's not true and, and with that one takes a position and in some way one kind of as you probably, it becomes quite clear you witness people of strong views, you see how much their whole identity is based upon holding that view and it almost helps them to firm themselves up. Mm. Political views are clearly, religious views. Uh, so this, this is what I am, this is what I stand for, this is myself. Mm. Mm. And what kind of thing are you going to do? And so, yeah, if you don't, if you don't, if that's something that you don't realise, then you're going to have a view of something. Mm-hmm. Dukkha there means really not necessarily miserable so much as 
it, it can't you can't uh, it can't be sustain itself it's something that's bound to fall down you know, whatever rises in the mind you can't really find your ultimate peace in that mm-hmm. so it's, it's put in a very again a very bold term dukkha but, but uh, dukkha means a, quite a whole gradation of things So it's not myself that's arisen, and it's not myself that ceases, or, you know, essentially. <laughs> well, what myself does, I think, is in the, in the eighth quote here on, from the Savasava Sutta. <laughs> it goes... I perceive not self with myself. I perceive self with not self. interpreting experience mm, right. rather than belief about life or the world. It's actually moment to moment how you interpret things. Thank you. 
Yeah, the self view is uh, three three aspects to it. This is this is me. Oh, this is me. This is mine. This is mine. This is me. This is myself. Tanha, mana, diti. So tanha is that's mine. Kitty view uh, mana is this is this is this is the me bit and, and the, the view is oh this is myself. The difference between ditti and mana they've been connected is that the ditti is the first perspective on when there's when there's cold, when there's craving and grasping, then a contact impression subjectivity arises. That's the mana. Yes. Sorry, that's the mana bit. And that sense of being aroused, <coughs> being stimulated, being hurt, or whatever. Oh, I'm on the end of this. There's something on this is subjectivity, which is there is a subjectivity. Definitely, there's an effect of the chitta. But then there's a kind of splitting that occurs, which means, which is the view, which is rather than that being an experience or a trembling or an interest or a happiness or a sadness. Oh, that that's myself, that's, that's who I am. Yeah. So the jitta gets transformed into a self. That's that's the that's the ditty bit of it. The mana is when the conceiving starts to happen. And then the ditty kind of st- stabilizes that and gives it a temporary stability. That's papancha. Papancha the process of proliferation or identification. Has these three states, these three movements in it: craving, mana, ditti. I think again you'll see in the this lovely quote, the Madhupindika Sutta describes the process very well. Where it starts off with the
so dependent on the iron forms, I consciousness arises. Consciousness, the meeting is with his contact. Contact is conditioned there is feeling, so it's very much in terms of just factors, and then what one feels, one has crept in <laughs> as one perceives. So the first sense is, oh, I'm doing this. The feeling is, is a kind of tremble, and then I'm feeling, I'm feeling. I perceive, then one perceives, one there's a kind of forming up around that feeling. What one perceives, that one thinks about, thinking starts to occur. What one thinks about, that one mentally proliferates, it's a bit more, it reminds me of this, now I wouldn't do that, I'd never get one of those. Then what one is mentally proliferated, the source, perceptions and notions tinged by mental proliferation beset a man with respect to past, future and present forms, cognitive and So eventually what happens is, they're, about, they're coming back. And then you start off creating them, and then they end up besetting them. So you end up, you know, starts off with, oh, I think this, I think that, and then, oh, these thoughts are happening to me. Shut up, quiet. <laughs> this is the Honey Ball Sutras. Um, it, it occurs with each of the Iapanas, but the first one is the I. Dependent on the I and forms, I consciousness arises. The meeting of the three is contact. With contact is conditioned, there is feeling. What one feels, that one perceives. The Vedana, then Sanya. What one perceives, that one thinks about. So the, the Adhisankaroti, the process of... What one thinks about, that one mentally <coughs> proliferates. With what one has mentally proliferated as the source, perceptions and notions tinged by mental proliferation beset a man with respect to past, future and present forms cognizable through the eye. <coughs> so one starts to generalise, you know, there's a seeing, a feeling, and then I see this, and then I always see this, this is always going on, and why does this ever mean? It always will go on, so the whole temporal. <coughs> You know, realm appears with its sense of determinism and, and finality, and you, you feel trapped in it. But it's actually generated out of context. The, the, the Jnananda wrote a, a book, Conflict and Reality, which is really you know, revolves around this very, very paradigm. It's on, it's on Papancha. It's, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful book, in my opinion. <laughs> That is my view. Dense. Concept and reality. Yeah. 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 the um I'm going to kind of encapsulate, summarise in terms of practice, it's like you know, the establishment of these path factors leads to 
as we said, right view, right effort, right mindfulness. And the right mindfulness is that where you're starting to find a way of, of holding or reviewing experiences it actually happens in the present moment. And this, as referred to, Anantapindika refers to these three characteristics, anicca, dukkha, anatta, inconstant or impermanent, um, unsatisfactory, and not self. So that is right view. Then in the last thing is the Samaditi Sutta, the ninth of the Majjhima, where Sariputta, the Arahant, talks about right view, and it's really uh, a presentation of dependent origination. Uh, Most of it is that. So this is the other uh, way in which right view is sometimes... uh, or the, the, the vision of reality that right view affords that reality is actually mutually arising, mutually dependent, um, conditioned, effective, um, interrelated. There isn't somebody separate from it. Mm. So everything we do and say and think, every attitude, every intention is potent. And so that means, you know, <laughs> you start to take take it all with vigilant. So any questions? Further bits to talk about? We'll just sit with this for a while and let it shake itself down. Then does it does it lead to <coughs> the futility of ever defending a view about anything? <laughs> I think it gives one a sense of the uh, being aware of, of intentionality. The right view leads to right in- intention. So the intention to def- defend or to affirm is it based upon uh, compassion, um, uh, kindness, and renunciation? Yeah. And um, the degree of the Buddha certainly seems to make very strong statements about what was right and what wasn't right. Uh, so it, it wasn't. He didn't. He didn't. So well, it all depends. Whatever. Really. I don't mind. <laughs> but you know, he would. He would. He would firmly say, "Well, if you look clearly at this view, this is what it leads to. Isn't that unskillful?" If you if you adopt this view, doesn't it lead to this? Isn't that skillful? There's certainly a firmness there, an unwavering firmness to present and uh, and refute. But I would say this is not actually ability to to hold, investigate, present a view. 
But I would suggest what he's not saying is this is myself. You know, if, if you don't want to hear it, that's okay. You know what I mean? I mean, I think he, he was like, in some ways, but people have said, look, I want give me some teaching, give me some advice, I'm suffering. They look, this is what you do. You didn't go, well, depends, you know. <laughs> so you ask me, you know, this is, this is, and sometimes they say, don't ask me. You know, on some occasions, like to the ox, the ox duty estate, says, don't ask, please don't ask. <laughs> you know, what, what your practice is going to lead you to. And uh, he persists in asking, he says, well, you ask me three times, then I have to reply that your practice will lead you to hell. Or to be born as an ox. You know. But, you know, he didn't go around blazing this to the, to the populace, uh, you know, in order to... But, but if you, you know, he said, this, this is a view I've really, you know, clearly seen and realised. So, if there's an occasion for commenting or saying or is asked, then he'll present it. And present it with a sense of confidence and clarity. But, uh, you know, say that his, his basic, you know, living in the world is not to, 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 you know, to go around creating conflict. But to those people who ask him, what, what has he seen, will tell him. And he won't hold back. I think it's, it's important to recognise how much, you know, in, in exchanging views, how much one is trying to be right or um, coming from a place of some irritation, aggravation. Uh, also, how much, whether one actually has a situation where the other person is, is able to listen. Um, so if you notice the Nata Pindigri says, well, um, I don't know, you know, what do you think? So he, he opens it up first of all, and they say, well, this is what you know. And then they ask him, what do you think? <laughs> so then he, he says, well, you know, it seems like your views lead to this, and this is, isn't it like this? You know, so in the sense of the, uh, not much defending his own views, so much as just, being open to their views and then saying, well, I s- this is what your views feel like mm-hmm. when you hold them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, think, I think I'll try an extra With the Dharmic two-shape here. <laughs> 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 it's a sort of judo throw, isn't it? You step back <laughs> to receive the forces of the thrust and the you let that force kind of come back again, as it were. Mm. Can I just um, wonder if it's possible to share with the Tanya how we found this good advice to um, the Pali, um, where, where the Buddha is telling you that as to the qualities of which you may know, these qualities lead to utter disenchantment, to dispassion, to cessation, to calm, to direct knowledge, to self-awakening, to unbinding. You may definitely hold, this is the Dhamma, this is the Lumia, this is the teacher's instruction. And so it sounds like utter, you know, nibbida, utter disenchantment 
It's, that carries some strength, has, has a bit of kick to monastics. You know, the world is turned away from renunciation, mm-hmm. turned away from mm-hmm. the world. So mm-hmm. It's not just, kind of, I, I don't interpret that as just no view or uncertainty. There is a, a thrust to, yeah, to yeah, yeah. It's an, a disenchantment is a very nice word because it means coming out of the trance. The spell is broken. It's not dis- I don't really follow disgust, but the sense of you know, coming out of the dream. That sounds like a fresh idea. And, and the Nibida is maybe kind of somewhere a germinal inclination, you know, I don't know. I just but it really only becomes a dominant factor based upon all these other things. So it's not an ideological position that you adopt. It becomes a kind of a realization that, that comes as a result of skillful practice. So you think, actually, that doesn't, that doesn't get me, it doesn't move me. You know? I'm, not, I'm not entranced by that. I'm not fascinated. You know? uh, not... not f- from aversion, but just nothing's happening here, it's not catching hold. And to see that, that that sense of not being caught, not being wound up as as, uh, as something one <laughs> aspire to rather than dread. Well, the fire sermon particularly lays that down repeatedly, you know, almost like a drum beat. Tasmin bini bind, Jagusmin bini bind, everything is good. If you look at that, uh, recite, chant it, it's, it's uh, totemic and it's, it's kind of pounding. And that all I was doing is suffering. You only ever see the suffering, that kind of. Because it still carries the the seeing, the speck is a seeing thing, but it still carries it, but you don't, it's not conceptual. So, shall we pause there?